0: I want to start this year by really starting with just thanksgiving. And a call to us as a church to focus our attention, once again, on the things that really matter. The power of the gospel, the glory of God, the sweetness and the beauty of Jesus Christ, the victory of Jesus, and the implications for us here today. If you've got a Bible with you, we're going to be starting off in these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Don't worry, they will appear on the screen. And Paul... um, writing this this letter to a church in Corinth which is a messed up church like all sorts of issues all sorts of brokenness all sorts of craziness frankly and he's writing a letter to correct the church and to say hey stop doing this and And sort yourself out in this area and blah, blah, blah. He doesn't start with any of those things, which is where we would often start. He starts with saying, I see evidence of and I thank God for the grace that you guys are displaying. And I'm not in any way suggesting that we're a church like the church in Corinth with tons of issues. But let's be clear, we're not a perfect church. We've got tons of issues. (laughs) And we are people, ordinary people with all sorts of things that we are working through. And just because it's the beginning of a new year, it's not like, oh great, everything is now dealt with and is here, so we're sorted. We'll be sorted when we stand face to face in the presence of Jesus. And until then, we're a work in progress. And it's these words which are the, the motivation, if you like, or the, the kind of, the reality actually. They're not the motivation, they're not a motivational speech. It's just the reality of who we are. We are a people who by the grace of God have been saved for him and we are being changed by him. And one day we will be in his presence forever changed. And when we've been there for 10,000 years, we'll still have 10,000 plus to sing and enjoy the glory of God. And Paul writes these words, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Flick over to verse For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is our foundation, this is our starting point, and we don't move on from this, we move deeper into it. And as we start this this new decade, this is... Everything that was, everything that is, and everything that is to come. We were reminded of it right early on in the beginning of our worship by Reuben. God has been faithful. His grace is sufficient for your past, your present, and your future. And the grace of God has been given to us. We didn't earn it. don't deserve it. It has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And God is faithful. And this gospel has power. And so we resolve, therefore, to know nothing but Jesus Christ. And our faith does not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we want to see more of this in display, on display in our lives personally and corporately together. You see, it's not about us. It's never been about us. It's not about our plans or our abilities. Quite frankly, if you are anything like me, which you are, we are weak. We are unimpressive. We are often afraid, we are often making mistakes, we are often faithless, but our boast has never been in ourselves. It's always been in the Lord. And he, it tells us right here, he is faithful. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you will know from experience he is faithful. And he's also the one, we're told right here, right early in the beginning, he is the one who is making sure that we are not lacking in any gift. You know that as we start at the beginning of this new decade? There is nothing that you need which He cannot provide and will not provide. It might not be everything you want or dream of, but you are not lacking in anything because He has been faithful, He is faithful, and He will be faithful. And our boast has never been in ourselves. It's always been in him, the one who calls us by name, who knows us by name. He knows and calls us, knowing all of our weaknesses, our frailties, our imperfections, and he loves us just the same. And because of him, we're now in Christ Jesus, and this changes everything. In a sense, today is is less sermon, and um, more, I suppose, kind of unburdening a little bit perhaps. Originally planned, uh, we a kind of six-week series, it was going to be brilliant. Um, I spent several weeks planning it. Honestly, I don't think it's ever been so well-planned sermon series ever. And then just couldn't get peace on it, maybe because it was rubbish. But I just couldn't get peace on on it and just really felt instead called to change our plans for the beginning of this year and through, through on's through on that 's not even a word throughout and beyond through on word for 2020 that 'll be in the dictionary by the end of the year through on I just felt uh, it called to change our plans through on 2020 and to frame 2020 as a year of seeking God and I just I love the word that came earlier from Sarah about banners of victory over us because felt God really. Uh, call us to frame 2020 as a year of seeking God for conquest, for victory, and for breakthrough. That's what I want to just speak into for a few moments here, and then we're going to come back and, and worship together. You see, for a number of years now, we've been living with the expectation of raising our level of expectation of what God is going to do here in us and through us. And a few years ago, we, lots of you who've been around for a while have heard me talk about this a lot, felt God say... To raise our expectation, reaching the nations, and by nations we mean people, different people groups, not literal countries, reaching the nations by advancing through prayer, fueled by worship, identifying more leaders and locations and cultures and opportunities, starting more communities, more ministries, more venues and more meetings, and expecting gospel transformation. And that's exactly what we did a few years ago. We went from being in one place to multiple places and now have different venues and different meetings in different parts of southeast London. And we've launched new communities and we've launched new ministries and we've raised up more leaders and we've got more people now than there has been before. If you were here on the 29th, this place was packed out and we worked out that about half the church again weren't in this room. God's been exceedingly faithful an awful lot of things that we could thank God for and celebrate and and we've got an awful lot to thank God for and yet, so grateful, so thankful and yet, just got this sense if, if God is who he says he is If all of this is real if the king is on the throne if this victorious king has taken authority from all principalities and powers if he has poured out his spirit upon us if the same power that conquered the grave really does live in us if all of this is real then God we need you to move and we want to see your power displayed in ever increasing ways we want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and we want to see breakthrough in places that we've not yet seen breakthrough both individually and corporately we want to see victory in areas that we don't current don't currently look like we are being victorious in and we want to see conquest over things that don't yet seem like they've been conquered amen and as we read through scripture we see this story of an all-powerful personal god who creates and rules and we know the story sin enters because of our rebellion and mucks everything up but god And God stepped back in and he came and he overcame. And one day he will return as the all-conquering king. But we're not just waiting for his kind of return and his victory. We're not just kind of cling on by your fingertips if necessary because one day the victory is coming back again and we'll just hold on till then. We're not just waiting for that day. He is now the victorious king who has already taken away authority from all principalities and all powers. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Not a promise that one day I will, he has triumphed over them. And this victorious king rules and reigns right here, right now. There are so many places throughout Scripture we could go to, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, Daniel prophesied in Daniel 7.14, and to him, he's talking about the king, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. People have been writing off Christianity every year for centuries. And yet there are more of us now than there has ever been before. In countries where he's trying to be qu- squashed, the church is growing at an exponential rate. Every time somebody writes off the demise and says, well, that's it ended... Just life springs forth. Why? Because his kingdom is a kingdom that is everlasting. His dominion shall rule and reign forever. And it's one that shall not be destroyed. We celebrated just a few weeks ago his birth. What did the angel say in Luke 1, 33? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is our God. This is our king, Hebrews 1.8. But of the son of Jesus, he, God, says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. He rules and he reigns. And our lives are hidden in Christ. We just read it a few moments ago in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 1. You are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 verse 3 says again, for you have died, the old self is gone, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And because of his victory, victory, we are victorious. Because he's a conqueror, we're a conqueror. In fact, actually Romans eight thirty seven says, we are more than conquerors. It's not just a song we sing, it is a truth. We are more than conquerors. Not in and of ourselves, but through him who loved us. This is who we are. This is who we are. It's not a question of whether you feel it or not. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. Frankly, it doesn't even really matter if you kind of can work it all out or not. If you're in Christ, this is who you are because we're hidden in him. So we are conquerors, we are overcomers, we are those who are victorious. And there are so many, I'm just going to highlight a few, but there are so many amazing biblical promises to those who overcome and conquer. Look at Revelation 2.7, to the one who conquers or overcomes, or is victorious, your version of the Bible might say, one of those three words, they're interchangeable, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. What a promise. Verse 11, Revelation 2, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17, to the one who conquers I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Verse 26, to the one who conquers, to the one who's victorious, to the one who overcomes and keeps my works until the end I will give him authority over the nations. Look over, chapter three, verse five. To the one who conquers, the will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow, sit with Jesus on the throne. Revelation 21, verse seven. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Wow, overcomers and and conquerors have all these incredible promises as our inheritance. And the spilt blood of Jesus and his subsequent resurrection guarantees this stuff. We will not be hurt by the second death. We will have our names kept in the book of life. We will have authority over nations. We will sit with Jesus on his throne. And this is really important. Understand this. Overcoming and conquering is not a consequence of human effort, but a result of faith in the finished work of Jesus. Result, just, just, I'm going to say that again because this is not a question of, it's not a question whether you feel it or not this morning. It's not a question of stirring something up emotionally and going, hey, come, yes, yeah. No, no, no. Overcoming and conquering is not a consequence of human effort. Nothing you do or don't do. But it's a result of faith in the finished work of Jesus. Look at 1 John 5 verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Such a stunning verse. This is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Not in ourselves, but in the finished work of the all-conquering, all-victorious king, Jesus Christ. So do you know what it is for us at the beginning of this year? It's time for our faith levels to rise. It's time to exercise our faith muscles once again. It's time for some of us to pick some things up again. That we have perhaps laid down or thought, I'm not really sure that's possible, I've kind of lost faith for that, or I don't really, um, well, maybe it's time to pick those things up again. It's time to believe. We just came out of a series, I Believe. It's time to believe in the victory of God and the consequences for you and I today. Now, this is really important because there actually is something that we do have faith. Again and again and again in scripture, we get these warnings. Hebrews 11 verse six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not without doing a bunch of stuff, it's impossible to please God. Not without what you say, it's impossible to please God. Not even what you do, frankly... It's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Read through the Gospels. Jesus performs all these incredible miracles in front, of a, in front of people. I mean, like they didn't have social media, but everybody knew, which is why whenever he went anywhere, there was massive crowds. He performs miracle upon miracle, and then in Matthew 13, verse 58, there's this little verse with a stark warning. It says, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He could have done. He was God. It wasn't like his ability to do something was dependent on something else in one sense. He, he could have done whatever he wanted and yet because of their unbelief he did not do many mighty works there. Without faith it's impossible to please God. But we've got to remember that every time you see a warning in scripture it's actually an invitation. Every warning in scripture is don't do that because it's an invitation to do something else. So the warnings about not having faith are what? What? Invitations to have faith. The warnings about not believing are what? They're invitations to believe. Believe that this God of power and might, this king who sits on the throne, believe that he has all power and all dominion and is using that power to do good unto us. He's using that power to usher in his kingdom. He's using that power to declare his glory and he's using that power to share and to show his loving kindness. Believe. Have faith. So this year, we're believing God afresh for breakthrough. We're going to seek God corporately, and I'm going to encourage you individually as well. Seek God for a year of conquest, for a year of victory, and for a year of breakthrough. And we're going to believe and seek God uh, for for those things personally and corporately. Personally, that we're going to be asking God for breakthrough in emotional, spiritual, and physical health. Where there has not been those things or where those things are not where they should be. We're believing God for a breakthrough in emotional well-being and emotional health. We're believing God for breakthrough in areas of mental health. Believing God in breakthrough for things of physical health. Believing God for breakthrough in things of spiritual health. Emma's word earlier of restoration and repairing of broken things. We're going to seek God and believe for those things in 2020. And we're going to seek God as well corporately together. Asking God for a breakthrough in miracles because we don't see enough. Asking God for a breakthrough in salvation because we don't see enough. Asking God for a breakthrough in multiplication and growth because whilst we're super thankful with everything we've got, and by on in in one sense, kind of in a natural sense, you might look on new community from the outside and go, "Well, successful church—they're more than they were last year, and they've got this, that, and the other, and they're doing." I don't care about those things. We're seeking God for breakthrough in multiplication and growth. So in two weeks time, we're going to kick off a series, 21 days of praying and fasting. We're going to teach into it over three weeks, and we're going to practice it throughout the weeks. There's 21 days, divided by three, that's seven, so we're going to, I think So we're going to have speak preach into praying, and we're going to pray for a week, which is going to lead us into our nights of prayer. We're going to have material each day as we go. And on those nights of prayer, the 21st, we're going to be come, gathering together corporately and saying, "Come, Holy Spirit." Come Holy Spirit, rend the heavens and come down, move in power corporately. On the Wednesday night, we're going to be gathering for the New Ground Prayer Nights. We're one of the churches that's going to be focused, um, f- had some focus on us this time, so we'll share some of this stuff. And then on the Thursday night, we're going to be praying for breakthrough and for long-term things. For people where there's been long-term sickness, we're going to say, God, we will need some see some healing here. For those who are seeking God for prodigals over many times, children, grandchildren, loved ones who have walked away from the Lord, we're going to come back and say, God, we're crying out for these people, for prodigals to return. For those who've got non-Christian family members, we're going to be crying out for non-Christian family members. For those who have got relational issues, we're going to be crying out, God, no, this is not okay. We want to see some breakthrough. For those with financial issues, we're going to say, God, no, this is not okay. We want to see some breakthrough. That's going to be on the, Thursday, on the 29th. We're going to family. We're standing together in this. If you fit into any of those categories, come along. If you've got a friend who fits into any of those characters, bring them along. If you don't fit into any of those categories, come along and we'll pray and we'll stand with people. We're going to be serious about this, seeking God. Our prayer is, God, we believe. We believe you're on the throne. And we want to see it. We want to see your kingdom come here on earth. As it is in heaven. And we're gonna just say, God, the results are up to you. We're not framing this as a year of, this is definitely gonna happen, but by faith we believe that breakthrough will come as we pray for it. We're not putting numbers on it. We're gonna say, we're going for this, and we're going for that, and if this is you, no, we're gonna leave the results up to God. We're not putting numbers, we're not putting demands, we're not putting goals on Him. What we're doing is seeking him afresh and saying, we believe, now let's see it. We believe, would you come? We wanna seek you for breakthrough. And so we're gonna come with simple, humble, expectant faith. And we're trusting that the king is on the throne and that the king who is on the throne hears our prayers and loves to respond. The promise of 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. It's our prayer for 2020. God, we believe you. We know you hear us. We believe it's your will. We believe you're mighty to save. We believe you're powerful to heal. We believe you're the breaker of chains. We believe you're the deliverer. We believe you're the provider. So we're going to ask you to do some more of it. And what's more, I believe he wants to. Several hundred of us were gathered here on New Year's Eve Briefly spoke about some of this stuff, and we worshipped. Didn't, we didn't even actually pray for anything. Got a message the other day from a lady who was here, who's just a guest, um, doesn't come to this church, who got healed on the evening. We, we didn't even didn't even pray for anyone. <laughs> Slight oversight. <laughs> but he wants to do it anyway. Is that believing in that? Okay, it's <laughs> a bit like, duh. You're talking about praying for people. You didn't even do it. I'll just show you anyway. How much more is he going to do when we start asking him for stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I just want to uh, just share a word of caution, though. This is not, let's go, triumphalism. This is not stir a kind of frenzy of emotion, and like New Year's resolutions will be gone before the 21 days are done. We need to recognize where we are. In the big story of God, see the reality is is that we're living this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's already happened, but we're living this side of His return. That's not yet happened, and so we're in this gap here between the now, what Jesus has already done, and the not yet, what He will do one day. And when you look. At the world around us, and you don't need to be a genius to work this out. You just need to open your eyes and watch the news or read a newspaper or just observe yourself in the mirror. You will see that the world around us is groaning. Romans 8.22 describes it as like groaning like a woman in labor. This world is groaning. It's a world of pain. It's a world of frustration. It's frankly a world that is still yet to die. One day there'll be new heavens and new earth. This world will die and there'll be a new one. And the reality is for the Christian is that this world in which we live is still a world of Mark eight thirty four: deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, says Jesus. He doesn't say follow me and everything's going to be fluffy and lovely and wonderful. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, which means we are not immune from the world of pain and frustration, We are still living in this world that is groaning in childbirth. We are still living this side of what is one day going to be perfected. And so we've got to be real about that. So we need to make sure we don't paint everything as kind of rainbows and lovely. We must be careful not to overdo the now and dial down the not yet. But at the same time, we've need to recognize that we live with a reality right here right now of hope and joy and new life we recognize that this side of the death and resurrection of jesus the world has been turned up the right way now it is a world where we live now where individuals and families and communities and whole nations can be transformed by the power of the gospel and so we need to be careful that we don't overdo the not yet and dial down the now see we live in this bit here which means we live in tension This part of the story is characterized by tension and to live in it requires wisdom and maturity. You see, as much as we need to grow in our faith and our expectation this year, we also need to grow in our being wise. You see, living biblically means living in the world but not of the world. Like, actually we live in the midst of this pain and this frustration and this... this, mess and we are affected by it but we're not of it we're of another world and so we need to grow in our wisdom and understanding and our maturity frankly of how we handle that tension and how we live which means we need to have a biblical faith and a biblical faith is not just some there are moments where we just need to sometimes get up out of the trenches and go and storm some enemy thing there are moments like that yes but actually, the majority of our life is not spent like that. Biblical faith is a maturing faith. We mustn't get sidetracked by our culture's obsession with instant results and instant gratification. Like, we live in a world that if it isn't now, it's like, I don't want to know. Like, I can't cope with buffering on my Netflix, so I turn it off. I have to wait like three seconds, five seconds sometimes, On oh, no, am not enough, off, off. We live in a world of like, if it doesn't get delivered right here, right now, exactly as we want, then I'll switch providers and go somewhere else. Like 20 years ago, we said, i dial up if you were lucky to have that. And now it's like, if it's not, beep, What is this outrage? 3G? I can't do anything with 3G. It's ridiculous. And yet we bring that cultural stuff right into our life of faith all the time. Well, I prayed about it once. What are you doing? Pfft, ridiculous. I mentioned it one Sunday morning and it didn't happen. Ridiculous. Like, come on. The biblical pattern of growth is generally one of steady and slow, it takes a lifetime. Do you know why you live as many a days as you do on this earth? That's how long it takes to get God, for God to get you where you need to be before you go to the next one. Like, we. Now, now, now. If that was all it was, the moment you get saved, you'd be taken straight to the new heavens and the new earth. But we're in this world, not of it. We're on a big, great big mission, and seeing fruit in that mission takes some time. The Bible was written in an agricultural context. I don't know anything about gardening at all, other than the fact that when you put seeds in, they don't immediately appear. You have to do stuff. Probably water it and other things, which is why nothing grows in our garden, but... I mean, even that, like, that's what we do every year. We just go, oh, look, the garden, it's summer. Uh, we haven't planted anything. Should we just go and buy something and put it in there? We bought a plastic tree just because we're fed up of the other ones dying all the time. We need some flumping in there. That one won't move. It's fine. And then the wind came and it fell over. And it's gone. <laughs> no. That's as good a garden we are. Before we had children, we killed every pot plant we had. Cactuses are supposed to be impossible to kill. Not in our house. <laughs> Thankfully our kids are still alive like that was a miracle but, but here's the point gardening takes time raising children takes time getting fit takes time 3 days of gym membership is not going to get you in shape it takes time spiritually it takes time and part of growing in wisdom and maturity and growing in biblical faith is understanding that living in the now and the not yet is a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. So many of us treat it as a problem to be solved. Well, how can this work? You see, it's a tension to be managed. Church life is full of problems that need to be solved. In 2020, we've got a list as long as your arm of problems that need to be solved. Bit by bit, we get through the list and we, and every time we fix one area of problem, something else pops up. It's like whack-a-mole. It's like that constant. You fix that, and then flipping There are three other things of, we've just sorted out that. Now we need to sort. Church life is full of problems to be solved, but seeking God for breakthrough, for miracles, and for healing it's not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. So we have this thing called the sovereignty of God, where He's in charge, and everything happens in His perfect timing. And frankly, he does what he pleases. As he desires, when he desires. But we've got that tension against our responsibility because we have responsibility as well. Is God completely in control? And have we got complete free will? Yes. It's a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. And we handle it with maturing biblical faith and wisdom. So we don't know and anybody who tells you why they do know doesn't know. We don't know why some people get healed and others don't. Just don't. It's a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. We don't know why some people seem to get provided for in very specific ways we prayed for and other people seemingly don't. God always provides, just not in the way we necessarily think. But I don't really understand why. We live in an age of tension. And what does maturing biblical faith look like in an age of tension? It looks like celebrating with those who do see healing and breakthrough and walking with, praying with, mourning if necessary with and continuing to go on with those who don't. It looks an awful lot like Romans 12:15, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And maturing biblical faith means we rejoice with others even when we're weeping. And maturing biblical faith means we weep with others and we still rejoice. You know that British thing of kind of, we had it in my family just a few days ago. We gathered some family members and one side of the family had some good news and the other side I knew that it would be painful for them. And yet they rejoiced. They probably went upstairs and cried afterwards, but they rejoiced in the moment. Because that's what you do. And we don't dial down the rejoicing, because we'd, oh, we might upset that person. No, we rejoice and we weep. And you can do both. That's a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. And that requires faith and it requires wisdom and it requires maturity. And it's often a battle, but that is what we're engaged with. You see, living in this now and not yet reality is part of God's plans and purposes for the restoration and the renewal of all things under his kingly, rule and under his lordship and under his reign we are engaged in a battle a spiritual battle and it's one of cosmic proportions this is no small thing this is why this is important why the gathered church is so important this moment right here right now week in week out is so very very important this is like a kind of i don't know heavenly army military base However you are starting this decade, starting this year, this is the place. This is the place you need to be on a regular basis. I'm I'm not really sure how far I can stretch this metaphor, but this is a spiritual medical tent. If you're busted and wounded, this is part of the place of your recovery because you learn to celebrate with others as you are weeping. And you have others around you who come alongside you and weep with you as they're celebrating and as others are celebrating. And that's just attention. This is a place to be, not back off. This is a spiritual fitness recovery center. I have no idea. I guess they have those in the army. I don't know. For strengthening the troops. For getting it's a place where you can kind of, it's a spiritual canteen. You get fed on the truth of the word of God. It's a Fitness play. I, you know, I've got no idea where I'm going with this metaphor, particularly other than say, wherever you're at, this is the place for you. to strengthen faith muscles, to grow, to learn how to repent, to learn how to be restored, to learn how to renew, to learn how to celebrate and how to weep, and then we get commissioned here and we get sent back out into the world. See, this year is not about more activity, it's quite possibly about less. But it's about letting God be God and getting on board and pressing into the victory by faith. It's not about beating our chests. It's not about being strong. Being an overcomer and a conqueror. If anything, it's not about you being strong. If anything, it's about the exact opposite. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul. Like the apostle Paul. Planted churches. Saw incredible miracles. And incredible things like If any of us got like, I don't know, a tenth of the stuff that he did, wow. And he said this, but he, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong not about us. It's about him. It always has been. You guys, can you come by? See, this seeking God for breakthrough and victory and conquest is about the adventure of following God this year and seeing what he does and seeing where he turns up and pursuing him wherever he goes. And it requires faith. And I just... As I was preparing this before Christmas and reflecting on it, I just feel that the Lord would want to speak to men particularly. It's not that we don't need women, we do. If you're a woman, we need you, we love you, but you know this more than anyone. We need some blokes as well. I just feel a sense of a prophetic call for warrior men. And the message is not come and beat your chest and be tough and be strong, the message is come and die. Come and die. Come and die to your own pride. Come and die to your own selfish ambition. Come and die to your own apathy. Come and die to your own sense of self-importance. Come and die to your cynicism. Come and die to that... Slightly blokish thing of Well I'll just see. Don't let the adventure pass you by. Men wake up. Wake up. Come battle in prayer. Need some men who are gonna come and battle in prayer. There's some wonderful men in this church who do but I would hazard a guess that our most ardent prayers it's not even a guess, I know this. Are some of our women. Women, you need to pray too, please but men, we need you to wake up and come and lead the battle in prayer. We need you to get serious about following the Lord. We need you. In case I've not said it enough, this is not to say we don't need women. It's just a particularly male sin to abdicate responsibility. We get worried about what people think of us. Male pride gets in the way. We get embarrassed by some of the more emotional or what we perceive as perhaps feminine aspects of Christianity. Let's just get over ourselves, hey? Like David, he wrote psalms and sang a lot and danced around in his pants. And he also ripped lions limb from limb. I'm just saying. Older men. I'm not sure what an older man is biblically, but in New Testament times, they didn't live as long as us, so I think it's anybody from 37 and up. Yep, I'm 36. (laughs) Yeah. When Paul wrote to Titus, he commanded him to specifically speak to and teach older men. He said, be sober-minded, be dignified, be self-controlled, be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And that word steadfastness also translates as endure. Endurance isn't natural for any of us. But it's my observation that it's especially challenging for men as they get older. Because men, as they get older, tend to get grumpy and cynical. Now, older men don't get grumpy and cynical because they're old. Otherwise, every man who's old would be grumpy and cynical. But the reason older men get grumpy and cynical is because that's what happens when people focus on themselves. You get grumpy and cynical. We need you. We need some fathers in the house. Like We reflect on the fact we've been here for nearly 16 years now. And when we first got married, we were like, wow, everyone's so old. And all those couples, like they've got kids and everything. They're like in their 30s. And we're like, babe, we're those people now. I don't feel old enough. And I remember that's exactly the same thing that I heard people 10, 15 years above me say, I don't feel old enough. It's time to start being fathers in the house. It's time to step up a bit. We need you. We need you setting the pace. We need you keeping the spiritual temp- temperature in this place. There's every excuse not to. I know that. You're busy, yep. You've got hectic lives, yep. You've got a job that keeps you in the city till whatever time, yep. You've got kids, yep. You've got aging parents, yep. You don't get home till late, yep. You've got no time for yourselves, yeah. I get all of that, but you can still be sound in the faith. You can still set the temperature. You can still lead the way. Don't give in to the way that the world thinks and acts. Don't be conditioned by it. You're in it, but you're not of it. Don't get cynical. The promises of God don't expire, so keep believing them. They don't expire, so keep believing them. Be like Caleb, that Old Testament hero. Had seen God do so much that he wouldn't let his 80 plus years stop him from taking God at his word. He was old enough to have great grandkids, probably great, great grandkids, but because God said, you're gonna conquer this land, he picked up a sword and said, I want that mountain. And with God's help, he got it. He took it. We have even more reasons to persevere. We need you. Men, we need you. Women, we need you. But men, we need you. We need you to step up. Quit your pride. We need you to serve alongside us. We need you to young, mentor younger men. We need you to lead stuff. We need you to set the spiritual temperature. We need you to pray. We need the wisdom and the experience that God has given you. Some of us live with a bit of regret that 10, 15, 20 years ago, we should have started doing this stuff. You know when the best time, that ancient Chinese proverb, I think, the best time to plant a tree was? 20 years ago. Second best time? Right now. Forgetting the past, we strain on. Yeah, but I haven't done that. The grace of God is sufficient. We need to step in right now. We need you to finish strong, but above anything else, you need to finish strong. Don't stand by while others claim the promises of God for you. Women, we need you to we believe in God for more this year. Are you going to join us? Let's stand.